Hey, good morning. I'm Dan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary, and I'm glad you chose to be in this room uh, today. You could be a lot of other places. There's a lot of things to do in Knoxville. Maybe not on a Sunday morning. I don't know, but uh, there's brunches. You could be at a brunch, so you're not there. Um, I could have the guys who came up and took the offering and, and did that. I could have them serve a little snack if you'd like. If there's something, I could have them come back in with a tray, like with little hors d'oeuvres on it. They're shaking their heads no. So um, let's just go on with what we've got planned. But uh, I'm glad you're here. I really am glad you're here. I uh, grew up in Memphis. I'm from West, West Tennessee. Any other West Tennessee folks uh, here today? I met a brother from Brownsville, Cordova, Memphis, Memphis. Yeah, okay. Um, I went to school at Union University, which is in Jackson, Tennessee. And... We had apartment-style housing uh, on campus, which we really enjoyed. You, you shared like a kitchen and a bathroom and a little living space, and everybody had their own tiny, tiny little bedrooms. It was like a prison cell. It was really, really small. Uh, but we kind of liked it because you had a door and there was some privacy. Now, after you get to know people, then you pick your roommates. You know, it kind of evolves into you live with your friends, which is kind of, I guess, what, everywhere. But when you first get there, you sort of get whoever you get. You, you just you pick. So I had a roommate, and his name is was Stephen Gratz Nelson. And if you're here today, brother, I'm not making fun of you, kind of a little bit, but not to, uh, he was just like a real unusual guy. And uh, he always wore the exact same clothes every day. He read comic books. He would fail a semester and be on probation, and then he would come back the next semester. So he was there like every other time uh, in, in school. And he was kind of a funny guy. He had this little television, and he would sit, and he would watch TV. And when he was not doing that, he loved, I kid you not, he liked to fly kites. He flew kites a lot, and he rode a moped. You know what that is? Sort of like a motorcycle, but not so much. He's, you know, and he would ride that thing all over campus and everywhere, and we'd see him. And um, we, another roommate, just gave him a new name. We all had names for each other, and we we called him Lester. And we called him Lester for the whole time that we knew him. And he would sit in front of this television. He would watch shows, and what he would do that was kind of cool is that he would interact with the television. And he would talk, and if a character said something like, which way did he go? You know, Lester would say, he went that way. <laughs> and we'd say, Lester, they can't hear you. And he would talk. And there used to be a show, I don't know if you remember, because some of you are kind of, you're young and I'm like an old guy, but the Dukes of Hazard. you remember that show? Oh, you do? Okay, even you guys remember that show? And the car they had at General Lee that could do everything, it could fly, it could go, and it would just jump. And he would talk to, and he would say, I could do that. And he was always comparing himself with other people and with characters on the show. And he would say, I can do that. I could do that. And one day I said, Lester, dude, I don't think you can do that. I really don't think you could do that. I could do that. I said, could you do it on your moped? Yeah. So you know, I'm going to... I want to see you jump over other cars and stuff on your moped. I could do that. I think he couldn't do it, but he had backed himself into a position, into a place where he was saying that he could. You ever been there? You ever made a mistake or you've ever kind of gotten yourself into a place 
and then you can't get out of it without losing face. I think that's what happened this past week, and I don't want to pick on this guy too much again, because I know everybody's kind of after him. The diver who um, was in Brazil, you know, was in Rio, and he, and he did all these things, and then he made up this big story. You know what I'm talking about? Lacte? Do I mispronounce his name? Is it Lacte or Lacte? Lacti, Lacti, you're like the Olympic section right here. This whole this whole section's like Lacti, okay, Lacti, and he made this up, and it kind of became apparent. And then instead of just saying, you know what, the easiest thing would have to do would have been just to say, you know what, I just lied about that whole thing, and I made it up, and there's none of that that's true. And here's the deal. We were drinking, and this happened, and this happened. And just say, just say, hey, we made a mistake. Do you know how long that would have been in the news? About a day. I mean, it would have just, it would have dissipated, and that would have been the end of that. But it didn't. It became this big story, and he lost all of his endorsements because he kept changing his story and covering it up and going, no, 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 wait, wait. What I meant, what, what really happened, and finally, when he kind of does that reluctantly it's it's like what it's too late it's too late that's kind of where we are and that's what i want to talk about in this new series at least on today in the first session of this um on week one as we look at this this idea of god's boundless love this is how amazing it is i've been experiencing that since i was 19 uh because i had heard about him and the, the cliches and some of the things and I didn't I didn't know or didn't really even believe a lot of that because I don't think any of us I started to say most of us but I don't think any of us have really ever been loved completely unconditionally and that's almost like a little thing you say and I'm gonna love you unconditionally no you're not I've done 130 weddings most of them right here and, uh, and we make those promises, but then on other days, it's hard to follow through with that. And we say, I can do that, I can do that. But we're thinking, no, you really, you can't do that. I can get myself out of this, I can pull myself up, and I'll do this. And, I'm, and how's that working for you? It never works. So... The thing that really got my attention, that just pulled me in and attracted me to this story about this guy named Hosea, is that through it, it's real easy for me to see God's selflessness and his, for, his forgiving personality, and just how overwhelming that is, and his, this, this genuine love. And I've never experienced, I've never known anything like that. And it's illustrated... Um, by what God asked Hosea to do. Now, some of you are really familiar with the story. Maybe you grew up in church. I didn't go to church till I was, really college is when I started going consistently and hanging out with Christians and began to read these stories. And they just amazed me. And I would tell my Christian friends, have you read this story about what happened to this? They go, yeah, we knew that like by first grade we had read that story. And I think, wow, I can't believe this is in there. And, um, and I want to read to you a little bit in just a, m- a moment. Let's, let's look at what, what it was that happened. Um, because God loved Israel, and he kept loving Israel. 
but Israel would love God for a little while and then sort of pull back. You ever had a friend like that? You ever had somebody like that that you don't know? And they're, maybe they're kind of moody or they're whatever, they're in, they're out, and they're just sort of maybe emotionally driven. But for whatever reason, uh, Israel would love God, and then they would stray away, and God would pull them back in, and, and he, would, he would just continue to love them, like we just sang, in a relentless way, in this real consistent, just beautiful way. Um, but theirs was kind of on again, off again. So he wanted to illustrate how that made him feel. Now, I understand that God's not emotionally wired in the same way that we are. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get, I don't understand exactly how much he feels. Um, and, but, but he did this and he wanted uh, to illustrate it. So here's the craziest thing. And God has asked me to do some things sometimes. He's probably asked, challenged you to do some things. Um, this, oh my goodness, it takes the cake. And he does, every now and then, he will do this. Do you remember uh, Abraham? And, I, and he said, I want you to take your son up on this hillside, and I want you to take this knife and plunge it in his heart. And you're thinking, you're kidding. Why would you, why would you do that? And then he stops him at you know, just the, the last minute. Sometimes he asks us to do these things that just seem like, wow, that's so over the top. This is one of those moments. And I'll go ahead and tell you, if you don't know, probably you already do. He told Jose, he goes, you know, the best, the best illustration that I've got of how this makes me feel, the way that you love me, is, is going to work, is going to play out like this. I want you to marry a prostitute. And if she cheats on you, and if she continues in her profession, and then she comes home, you accept her. And you take her back every time. That's how I feel. Can you imagine if God told you to do that? And you're thinking, no, no, let me, tell me to do something else. There's something else that you, you've probably got in mind that would work. God says, no, this is what I want you to do. So I want to read this because the opening verses of, of this book, and we're going to look at this over the next three or four weeks, um, make it clear that this happened at a specific moment in history. And the reason I emphasize that is because if you're like me, sometimes you read these events and they're just stories. You know, the first exposure I ever had to scripture was uh, these Bible story books that my mom would get at the grocery store, store. And I liked them because they had these huge colored, these real dramatic pictures in them, you know, and it was just, it was really cool looking. That was the only thing I knew. But the, even then, they took on this, this feel, this, uh, this environment, this vibe, you know, you know, like a story. It's the same thing like watching a movie or reading a novel. And you close it and you put it away. And go, oh, that was really great. But it's detached from my real life because it's a story. Now, this is what happens if you're not careful. It's kind of a dangerous thing that the Bible becomes like that. And you read it, and they're Bible characters. They're Bible stories. So I want you to you know, kind of try to lean into this as we're reading a history book as well as this, this event. So this really, really took place, really happened in history. And he notes it, and he gives all these details that we can go back and check it out. Uh, to see if it really happened. So here's, here's uh, the way it begins. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, 
kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife, I gotta say a bad word, okay? So, of whoredom, is that? Uh, for forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer. I think out of all, I mean, there had to be more prostitutes. Now I'm gonna pick a girl named Gomer because I just always loved that name. I think it's such a pretty name for a girl. Um, so he, he's just like, well, I'm marrying a prostitute. I might as well just go ahead and get Gomer. I mean, let's just, you know, go all the way with this. Um, so he picks Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, another cool name, and she conceived and bore him a son. So they start off and they, and they start having a family. So he doesn't just marry her and say, God, I'm going to do this, but it's just going to be for show. No, he's, he's, he's committed to this whole thing. So it begins by saying the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri. The word of the Lord. Uh, plainly said, Hosea was a prophet. He's one of the minor prophets. And when I say prophet, sometimes you may, that sounds kind of spooky. Or, Ooh, I'm a prophet and I prophesy over you. And, and you think, ah, that's kind of scary. It's not exactly like that. All a prophet did, and they did some crazy, you know, some weird things, but he just spoke, his job was to speak the word of the Lord. That's what he did to the people and into the circumstances around him. He just brought God's perspective into whatever's going on. That's what a prophet did. Uh, and so Hosea was just a guy. He was just a man. He was a real man. Um, he was not magical. He was not Gandalf or anything like that. And, and I think we, like I say, I'm trying to push us back into the reality of Scripture and how it relates. Um, otherwise, we'll just think, well, that was a cool story, and we, we just move on with our life. Uh, but he was a man, and he was the man that God used. He spoke through uh, Hosea. It says, Hosea, the son of Beeri. The name Hosea means salvation, and that's kind of a big deal. And I'm going to talk about that more in just a couple of minutes. But throughout the book, I think the whole idea is that Hosea is going to be this living example. He's going to say it, and he's just going to live it. Like, do you get it? God really loves you and really wants to be your Savior. Right before I came down, I was just looking at a random scripture in Titus, which has nothing, kind of nothing to do with this message. Um, and he talks about it was through his goodness and his kindness that God saved us through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just underlined that. He saved us. He rescued us. Have you ever been rescued? Have you ever been delivered? Or you're like you're on the edge of something dangerous and something awful or terrible is about to happen and somebody pulls you back or, you know, they, they do something that they rescue you. I thought, God, that's what you did. You know, it's through your goodness and through your kindness. Because I spent the most, the first several years, like two decades, 20 years of my life, really scared of God. My name is Dan, which is from Daniel, which means God is my judge. How do you like that? Not like, oh, my name means God likes you. <laughs> no, mine is God is your judge. You know, it's like, oh, okay, so it, it took a while for me to understand this concept. 
oh, you're good. Like we just sang, you're good. And you love me. You like me. You really like me. So Hosea means salvation. And throughout the book, he's going to talk about that. He's the son of Beery. Um, Beery liked beer. That's what that means. No, I just I made that up. Uh, this tells us the name of Hosea's father. We also know his wife's name was Gomer, which I mentioned a moment ago. I think it would be a beautiful name um, for those of you having children this year. Uh, consider Gomer. And then he had two sons and a daughter. So he had three kids and a wife who was a prostitute. And you know, there's nowhere else in the Bible that this guy, that Hosea, is mentioned or ever brought up. At least I couldn't find anything about this particular Hosea that's ever talked about again. Now, the times that Hosea lived in, it says, In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. You think, well, what's that all about? King of Judah, king of Israel. His ministry spanned, this is going to be fascinating to some of you, from about 760 to 720. That was when the people of God had divided because of a civil war, and it was really like two monarchies. Two nations. This is about 650 years after they had left Israel. It's about 250 years after David. You know, King David, that's kind of a reference point for a lot of us. Uh, so, so you think, what went wrong? This is the nation that's blessed, and they go through all these things and these battles and miracles. And, and, and 250 years later, after David, they've split up. They've broken up in their two places now. So that's the time that Hosea comes onto the scene. You've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And uh, they're, they're kind of in the promised land, but not so much. He lived during this period when his society was constantly finding ways to turn away from God. Uh, politically, things were pretty good economically wasn't a bad time you know generally it wasn't like a famine and you read that sometimes in scripture where something awful was going on wasn't so like that but what I want you to see is that Hosea wasn't above it all sometimes and I had a guy to tell me I was he asked me so I was trying to give some solutions to some issues he was facing in his life and he goes well that's really you know easy for you but I need something out in the real world and I thought where do you think I live you know, when I step down from here, my home isn't like in a cloud, like I go to a secret place and there's, and there's angels and it's like, oh, thou must cometh in, Dan, you know, and I, I don't, I live in the same place you do. I live here. You know, I have same, I have car trouble and I get sick and I have a border collie who's crazy and I have, you know, all the same things and even more so Hosea. And I think that's just so cool that he's just not above everything and looking down and making prophecies and like, you guys need to do this. No, he's like, you know what, I'm one of you. And then God asked him uh, sort of beyond that to do this incredibly difficult thing, especially for a prophet to marry a woman who was or whom he knew would become a prostitute. Now, if you're a prostitute and you're in here or you're just promiscuous, you know what, God loves you. He, he loves you so much. Um, but this hurt Hosea particularly, I think, on a personal level. And it humiliated him publicly. 
Now, the idea, I kind of think this, you don't see it in Scripture. It doesn't just come out and say it, but a lot of commentators kind of lean to the fact that when Hosea met Gomer, and they started dating, you know, and going to Dairy Queen and kind of hanging out and, hey, you want to ride in my chariot? And, you know, you me do a prophet trick for you. And, you know, he's impressing her and Gomer's just Gomer. I don't, I've got this mental image of Gomer. I won't go. But, um, you know, they, they, they get married. He picks her out. A lot of commentators say that at that time, she wasn't a prostitute yet. She would become one after they got married and she's having kids and she decides you know we need some income i don't know i mean can't you work at pennies or something but she becomes a so to get this he marries her knowing and they're standing there do you i do do you he does and knowing you're going to become a prostitute. Does that just break your heart? Doesn't that hurt your heart? And that's what happens, and that's what he goes through, and he, and he marries her, uh, and it's just so humiliating, and it's just so hurtful on so many levels. In verse 2, it says, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, so there was this beginning point where he goes, Okay, we're going to get started. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has um, committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Because I would just want to do this big word, I don't want to do this big, you know, illustration, this metaphor, to, so that people can, can get the big picture. He's always doing things like that so that he lives it out and we get the idea. Do you remember the prophet Jeremiah? That guy was no. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet Jeremiah because I bet he's just like, whoa. You know, he's one of the, he's, he, he's so, he would so be a Tennessee Vol. You know, he would be the guy in kneeling just that you always get your seat next to. No matter what seat I get, concert or a ball game, I get next to crazy, big, huge, crazy people. Um, that's Jeremiah. And God told him, he goes, I want you to wear your underwear, same pair for like 40, 50 days, just like a freshman at UT. Just want you to wear the same thing, you know, every day. And then, and don't do this, don't do this. If you're trying to reach people for Christ on campus, this isn't like on the table as an option to, but he says at a certain point, I want you to take off that dirty underwear and hold it up and say, this is what your righteousness is to God. (laughs) Okay, we get it. You know, oh, that's a pretty vivid picture. Well, God's always having these ideas and he's getting us involved in things. So he tells Hosea, this is what I want you to do. And the thing is that one thing that caught my attention was that the Lord said to Hosea, God's first word to Hosea was something for his own life. And this is how, at least for me, how God almost always works. Hosea probably would have preferred it if God gave him a word for somebody else. Do you have any friends like that? And sometimes it's legit. I know it can happen. God told me to tell you. I think, well, he sort of skipped over me. And why did he tell you to tell me? Why didn't he just tell me? Or what, you know, and if it's affirmed by other sources, okay, I get it. And I think maybe something's to it. But every now and then you have somebody, maybe you are one of these people who just think, I have a word for everybody. (laughs) I got something God told me to tell you. And God, you know, I think, I'm not so sure about that. But usually he speaks to you about you. 
speaks to me about me first. And a lot of the things that I share with you up here are not just abstract ideas or, you know, these things. I think, well, that would be kind of cool to talk about. Many of these things are things that I live through and I experience the authenticity of his love and how he works in my life. And then he gives me permission. Okay, now you've not only just read about this, but now you live through it. So now you can speak to it. There was a young lady in our church who who had an abortion and she was just really feeling awful about this. She was just consumed with guilt and with shame. And I would speak to her and I would tell her about God's love and just tell her we can get past this. And we're gonna and she kind of believed me, but kind of not, because I'm twice her age, I'm a guy, and she's just she's not totally buying into it. But I knew a lady who was a little bit older, was in a different season of life, maybe, you know, like 30s and 40s. And she had been through something like that. And I said, you know what, I want to introduce you to someone. And if you guys could just go out and get coffee and talk. This lady was able to lean across the table and to put her hand on this girl's hands and say, oh, baby, I know. I've been there. Me too. I did that. Isn't there something powerful about that? There's something so vulnerable um, when you can speak into someone's life because not just that you read about it or you think about it or you, ha- you got a book, you went to a conference, but when you lived that. So that's sort of our ministry, and that's sort of what's happening here where God speaks to Hosea about Hosea. And before the prophet can go out and talk to other people and speak to the whole nation, He's got to know it. He's got to hear from God for himself. He says, go take yourself uh, a wife of idolatry. The word that God had for Hosea wasn't easy. This is going to be a hard thing. Take a prostitute. He said, because the land, this is what Israel is to me. This is how it makes me feel every time you guys bail on me. Every time you tell me, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then you, you know, you go over here and go, then you come back and go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I really do love you this time. I really do. Okay. All right. Well, I forgive you this time. And oh, you did it again and again and again and again. He goes, this is how you make me feel. So he commands Hosea to do this and he brings to life this consistent picture um, that's used all throughout the Old Testament. And in this picture, the husband, the Lord is like the husband of Israel. And they're this passionate, chaotic attraction they have for idols and for other stuff. He said, you're as unfaithful as a prostitute. That's the, that's the picture. So it's real vivid. And you can feel that, you know, how idolatry and how the rejection of the Lord plays into this and how it feels to the Lord. So he, he tells him to do this, and God will put Hosea in the place where he feels what God feels. And he said, and you're, you're not going to like it. It's not going to feel good. His whole life, his whole message is about salvation. I've heard that word. I've heard that word probably my whole life. And people saying you need to be saved and, and how much God wants you to 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 know he loves you and I'm beginning to understand that it really is boundless God's love is boundless his love for you and I I really mean you 
specifically you, is, is boundless. And I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care what's happened with you or because of you. Um, I was visiting a prison once, and this guy, he reached in his pocket, and he took out a folded-up newspaper article, and it was about an article of how this guy had broken into a college professor's home and had choked the guy with the cord from an iron. And it was just this gruesome event. And I'm reading this, trying to make a connection. And when I look up, he's looking at me. <gasps> you know, and I think, oh. And he said, that was me. I said, what? I'm still not getting it. He goes, that was me. I did that. Okay. You know what? I got I to gotta, I gotta bounce because I've got this thing. I've got to go. You know, but he was, he, was, he was just telling me, oh, wow. He's just, but it was so so sweet that I could look him in the eye and say, you know what, I don't, I haven't done any, I've done some really bad stuff, but I haven't done that. But I know that God's love is boundless and that he can love even a guy like you. Is that true? It's got to be true. So I don't care what you've been through. And I know some of you have been through some junk, but that's what this book and that's what this series over the next few weeks is going to be about. Here's the, like a summary statement. God's forgiveness is available to us today, even if we've made terrible mistakes in the past. And I have. I've made some awful mistakes. Now, the truths in this book are universal, and they can be applied to really any, any, any generation of believers. Um, the opening statement clearly pinpoints that this happened at a particular time in history. You can go back and look it up. You can check it out. And so I I, kind of reemphasize this again, that when you read the Bible and specifically this story, don't detach it from real life because it's it's not a fairy tale. It's not a movie. Uh, God's love is real and it's available for you today. I was uh, for a long time was able to hold this at arm's length and and think that's for the folks at church and that's for those kind of people. And first time I went to church, I was a freak and I really stood out. I went to this little Baptist church in North Memphis and everybody was dressed up and, oh, it was just super church, you know. And some of you, you've been there, you grew up there and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's cool. It's just super, very, very traditional. And the organ was playing and everything. it was just and I came in like, and I could feel that I was, I didn't fit, you know. And so I, it was easy when you feel like that or you don't want to believe something to kind of push it off, you know, and to think, well, those people and kind of like that. So I, I, I tried to do that. Um, but after a while, God's, this, this kindness uh, began to, to pierce and to, to seep in to, to my life. Uh, and I think that's what God wants to do to a lot of us. And what he does in those moments is that he speaks specifically to your situation and he speaks in real time. He's current and he's relevant to your needs. He won't speak to you in an abstract way. He won't say anything that's somehow not related to you or what you're going through right now. So if you listen and trust him, He's going to talk to you about that particular issue that's really bothering you or your problem or, you know, what it is. And I love that about the Lord, that when I go to him, he doesn't say, well, Dan, let's talk about this. And I go, Lord, I'm not really going through that. I'm really, that's not my, you know. No, he always brings it to, to where I am. 
is so sweet. And if you're missing that, if you're missing the voice of the Lord at that level, at that place, oh, wow, you're, you're making it so much harder than it has to be. You're making life so much more difficult because he wants to be there and to speak to you in that moment. And if you're embarrassed, um, nothing surprises God, not even our sin. So don't ever believe the lie that, well, I've gone too far to ever be forgiven or for him to reach me and I've crossed the line. You haven't. You haven't. All you have to do is be willing to take that first step towards healing and towards grace and you'll be free of your shame and your guilt. Uh, you have to believe some things about yourself and you've got to unbelieve some things about yourself. Because by the time you made it in this room, actually by the time those 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 guys who are in children's uh, uh, kids stuff, the children who are in kids stuff right now, they already believe some things about themselves that aren't true or that are only a little bit true. And a big part of that is just what the layers they continue to put on. And it's things maybe a teacher accidentally said or a coach or parents, uh, you know, all these people who speak and do things into our life. And usually by the time you come into this room and sit here, you've got some things about yourself that aren't true but you're living and acting according to that. You don't have to do that anymore. You're free. He wants to set you free from all that junk and let you live in a completely different way. But one of the things I've realized, and some of this really just in the last several years, I had, I had to come to this place where I understood that I was wrong about the reality that I was that you create for yourself and you think this is the way it is and, and he says mm, it's really not but you've kind of built everything about your life around this idea whatever it is about yourself and about the people around you and you're going to have to admit that you're wrong and I know that's hard and there's something in me there's something in you that resists that that pushes back and doesn't want to admit when they're wrong do you remember Wally Coyote? Do you remember him? Um, he was in the Roadrunner cartoons, and he's always chasing this Roadrunner, and he's always employing these fantastic methods and these elaborate schemes, and he goes to the Acme store, wherever that is. It's sort of like the Amazon of this generation, you know, and, and he would get these machines and all these contraptions and rockets and stuff and try to, and, and I always thought, why don't you just take whatever it is that's costing you I don't know how coyotes make their money, but I thought, you, you're spending a lot of money on that stuff. Just go buy a Roadrunner bird. Just go to the restaurant and order up Roadrunner. And just, you know, but as a kid, that even then, that thought. But you remember how he would always run out uh, off a cliff? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you're like, yeah, run off. I can't make it really happen. Because if I do that, I'm going to go down. You remember how he would do that and he would stop when he realized there's nothing under him? But until he realized that he just kept running and he goes, and sometimes he'd hold up a sign or he would, and he would then he would fall when he be, believed it. And this is what I think we do sometimes. We believe we've constructed all of these, this information around ourselves and these facts based on faulty premise. Well, I'm always this way and I'm just going to always be this way. I told you, I told some people, uh, I was in Toys R Us 
getting my two-year-old grandson yet another one of those toy trimmers. And so I'm on one aisle, and this lady's over there, and the child bumps this display of toys, and they fall. And she comes around, and she grabs his arm and says, you are so stupid. He's probably got an average or above average IQ, but he's going to grow up believing that he's not intelligent. Why? Because that's what he's told, and that's the world he will build around himself. It's just thin air. What God wants to do is to collapse that. And if you just fall into Jesus, the reality of who he is. But what we do is that we just continue to go over the cliff. You know, we continue to act on that information. And because we subtly believe some things under the, you know, behind the scenes. Um, you can go to the next, next thing there, guys. To uh, should have been a drawing that I did. Uh, just some guys who just you, you just go over and you just run uh, right off. And I, I think we do that. And what I want to do today is just give you permission as if you needed that from me. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Why do we resist that so much? Long before Descartes, In fact, 1,200 years before Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. For those of you who are philosophy majors and are going to get amazing and really high-paying jobs with that degree. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All the engineers are so smug. But um, I have a a religion degree, so here I am. I don't know what you're going to do. Before he said, I think, therefore I am, St. Augustine said, follower ergo sum, I err, therefore I am. We make mistakes. We sin, we mess up. I can be a little punk sometimes. Uh, Save a lot of time and regrets and just admit I've messed up and then carry on. And you know, a little tip, a little footnote with that, It's not going to hurt nearly as much as you think it will. It's not going to feel nearly as as in the first. Just try it on easy levels for a couple of times. Just say, yeah, I was wrong about that. You're going to find that it's okay. It's okay. God is not passive. He didn't just set everything into motion and then step back and just sort of watch it like a, you know, like a clockmaker or something. He He's, he's got this story that's constantly unfolding, and you're part of that. And he's not finished with the chapter about you. And if you were to put the end at whatever you're going through right now, you might not realize you know, that there's more to the story. What if, in, just like, in, for, for instance, the Easter story, um, it may look horrible, and it's this depressing narrative. And you could say, okay, during Jesus' ministry, he was betrayed by a disciple. He was arrested and killed. The end. And those of us who are followers would go, no, wait, wait, wait there, there's, there's another part of the, of the story. Or you could say, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. The end. No, wait, there's, yeah, there's that part, but there's yet, there's another part, there's another part. Keep going, keep going. The true end of the story is amazing. And, and, it's, and it's this unexpected victory that nobody saw coming, and it's just, and it's worth celebrating. Jesus conquered the grave. The end. 
the beginning. And the story just continues to go on. Look, you put the end on your story too soon. And I don't know what you're going through. It may have been a breakup in a relationship. It may have been, you know, you've got the, the call. The doctor said, yeah, you've got this disease. You may have been through a divorce. You may have been through, uh, you, you're in the midst of an addiction. And you just think, well, the end, this is it. This is my life. Not yet. Not yet. So don't, don't do that. Don't do that yet. Now, one of the things I wanted to share with you when we wrap up here and, and let you go get, go get some lunch. Um, even preachers get hungry too, you know. So um, is, is that this theme of salvation that runs through Scripture, even Hosea's name is purposeful and has meaning to what God was doing then and what he's doing now in your story. And I just thought this was kind of cool, and so I wanted to show it to you. And um, it's in my journal, but I just took a page out of a little legal pad. I want to show you, first of all, this, uh, this is the word for Hosea in Hebrew, Hosea. And uh, that's his name, and it means salvation. His name literally means uh, salvation. Now, one of the cool things about that name is that if you, you break it down and you look at the root name, you know, somebody, some, maybe your name, like my, everybody calls me Dan. My name's Danny, which is from Daniel, and all of those mean the same thing, right? Whatever your name is, maybe you're, uh, I married a Kathy. Uh, her mother was Catherine. And you know, we think, okay, it's kind of the same name, but it's a shortened form. Um, Hosea's name is the same as the original name of Joshua. Now, do you remember him? Do you remember he's the guy that was given command over all of Israel after Moses, and God validated his ministry and said, Joshua, you're the man, you're the guy, you're the one that's going to take us into the future, and your name means salvation. Well, if you go back, that's what it means. Now, Joshua is a really cool name, and it looks, let's see if I put this up there. Yeah. You put it's see how it's written. It looks very similar. If you kind of look back and forth, and you go, yeah, it's kind of the same. Um, but in Hebrew, his name is the same as the name Yeshua, which means salvation. Do you know what Yeshua is in English? Some of you do. Yeshua, in English, is the name Jesus. Do you see this thread of salvation that runs all the way through? And this salvation, it means to deliver, to rescue, to save from a dangerous situation or place. In the New Testament, it's the word soteria, which is, means the same thing, to deliver or to save. That's all that God is interested in doing in your life. And if you're so afraid, you know, he's going to mess things up or he's going to change or he's going to demand this or that, at his heart, at the end of the day, all he wants is just to rescue you. And his love is so boundless that he will continue in that again and again and again. He would be relentless because his love is boundless. 
That's all he wants to do. Because he is. Like that verse I read right before I came in. He is a savior. That's his core identity. That's who he is. And so that's what he does. And that's what he wants to do in you and for you. I don't know where you are, and maybe you're already a follower, but you think, God, I'm in this situation, and I need to be rescued. I need you to come through in a big way. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's there's some way you need to be saved. God wants in on your story. Or maybe you've been rescued and you're on your own you're just out there trying to do this by yourself there's a better way you don't have to do that he wants through his kindness to save you to deliver you I think the trigger what initiates that is being willing to admit some mistakes I've sinned I've messed up I can be a little punk sometimes God can you take a guy like me a woman like me can you save me and through the story of Hosea he's going to show us yes because even though you've been unfaithful you've been back and forth and you've been I'm not like that I love you all the time every day you ready for that? Wouldn't you like that? Doesn't that just feel good to even think about it? But at the same 